0: please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Well, it's a great privilege to be back with you again this evening. <clears throat> um, as beautiful as all of your North Carolina red buds are and Bradford pears, etc., blooming, um like evil demons the pollen that comes from those gorgeous trees have attacked my system uh this afternoon um and i have somewhat lost my voice um or we could just blame it on powerful preaching this morning you know it it makes no difference um But regardless, that just means that you really have to pay attention and you really have to be attentive uh, to everything that I say this evening. Um, I'm actually allergic to every tree outside uh, besides a birch tree. I don't know what it is about a birch tree, uh, but I'm not allergic to a birch tree. Um, And a little bit of it may have had to do with Grant's cat uh, that I... Spent all afternoon with, and there he is, um, as I as I introduced him coming in. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, uh, this evening. Excuse me. See, I'm already confused. Uh, This afternoon, the pollen is yes, yes. uh, Unfortunately, so let's uh, turn together once again to the Gospel of Matthew and um, chapter six. Actually, we're still in the context of the Sermon on the Mount chapter 6, and I want to draw your attention uh, beginning in verse 5, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, perhaps a familiar text to you as the Sermon on the Mount uh, should be uh, particularly to all of us, Jesus, of course, preaching here. And when you pray, I like that, and when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And Father, this evening we thank You that You know what we need before we ask You. And what we need this evening, Father, is a touch from You, from Your Spirit, from Your power, from Your presence. Open this text to us this evening, Father and cause us to see new things, new diamonds, as it were, new jewels, as it were, as we turn this text before our observation together in the moments that we have and desire to examine every brilliant facet of its loveliness. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. There are two spiritual activities, two spiritual activities, which are to be unceasingly part of a believer's life and growth in Christ toward holiness and toward godliness. One is the reading and the intake of scripture, and second is prayer. Now, Uh, you can read all types of Christian self-help books about how to have a better life. And they can talk about organizing your life. They can talk about getting your life together. They can talk about having better marriages. They can talk about having better finances. They can talk about saving up for homes. And they can talk about exercise. They can talk about breathing methods, meditation methods, and all of the rest of it. But without these two realities present in your life, Scripture and prayer, you will always be stunted in your growth as a Christian believer. You will not, you cannot grow as a Christian believer without the Word of God and prayer. Well, you say, Dustin, I've heard that all of my life. And yeah, maybe I believe that, maybe I don't. Well, let me give you the words of my grandmother. We all have those grandmothers in our lives that even if you're a grandmother yourself, you still remember the words that your grandmother told you, right? My grandmother would always fuss at my sister and me. You know what the word fuss is, don't you? She would always fuss at my sister and me for not drinking our milk because, according to her, that's where where the nutrients were for healthy bones and healthy bodies. Well, Scripture and prayer are the nutrients for growing and maturing as Christian believers. When we study the Word of God, you see God is speaking to us. And when we pray, we are speaking to God. And so these two things are an interchange that takes place, if you will, between the living God and us. In fact, you may could even put it like this. Our whole Christian life depends on an unceasing conversation between us and God and between God and us. And so these two things, scripture and prayer, should be and must be woven, as it were, into the very fabric of our lives as Christian believers, hearing God speak to us through the pages of his word and us speaking back to God in our prayers. And so for this evening and in our time together that we have, I want us to focus on the second element here which is prayer. And the New Testament is filled with exhortation and instructions regarding prayer. In fact, we could spend the rest of our time together this evening, and I would not even come to the half of being able to read the verses to you in Scripture that encourage us and instruct us in how we as Christian believers are to pray. But let me give you a few verses to set our minds in this direction. The Apostle Paul exhorts believers in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing and also that we are according to Ephesians 6:18 to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication also paul says in philippians chapter 4 verse 6 do not be anxious about anything But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that's just a very small sampling on a very much broader subject that is covered both in the Old Testament, in the great prayers of the saints and prophets, as well as the instruction we have from our Lord, as well as the apostles, Paul, Peter, John, etc., regarding instructions and exhortations and encouragements on prayer. Now, some time ago, as I desired in myself to really go deeper in this particular subject, I often like to try to find somebody in church history who studied a lot on that particular subject in order to read what they wrote regarding the subject that I'm studying. And so, in studying the subject of prayer, I came across the Genevan reformer John Calvin. Now, I know Calvin is not at all a stranger to most of you, but if he is a stranger to you, this is a great place to enter Calvin at on the subject of prayer. Calvin wrote extensively on the subject of prayer. He also mentioned prayer throughout his sermons, throughout his treatises, throughout his grand The Institutes of the Christian Religion, throughout his commentaries, particularly on his commentary on the book of Psalms. Incidentally, at the end of his Old Testament commentaries on the Minor Prophets, which are mainly sermons that were transcribed as he was preaching, at the end of every single one of those sermons is a prayer by Calvin himself. Now, several years ago, I extracted all of those prayers from those commentaries and came up with a little over 500 prayers that had been recorded by Calvin. They were published in a small little book. The publisher didn't want to publish all 500, unfortunately, but chose 150 to publish from Calvin himself. So Calvin was caught up in prayer, thinking about prayer, studying prayer. Now for Calvin, prayer is the essence of the Christian life. He would say prayer is a gift, not a an academic problem. Uh, Let me say that to you again. Prayer is a gift, not an academic problem. You see, sometimes we reduce prayer, I believe, in our own conversations, studies, sermons, etc. We reduce prayer to an academic problem, as Calvin puts it. That is, we become so caught up, as it were, in the mechanics of prayer that we never get around to actually praying. In the final edition of Calvin's Institutes, which is that grand systematic theology of Calvin, which is nothing more than a book on sanctification in the Christian life, Calvin defines prayer this way. Prayer is a communion of men with God by which, having entered a heavenly sanctuary, they appeal to Him in person concerning His promises in order to experience that what they believed was not in vain. Quote. Well, let's unpack that just a little bit. Prayer has a way, according to Calvin, of confirming our theology, confirming our faith, confirming the belief system upon which our whole lives is structured, that what they believed was not in vain. Now, elsewhere, Calvin writes that prayer is, quote, a communication between God and us whereby we expound to Him our desires, our joys, our sighs, in a word, all the thoughts of our hearts. Calvin's logo, Calvin's symbol, Calvin's signet that you would often find on various official documents was a simple hand drawn with a heart in it lifting it up to God. And that's the idea here that prayer is literally taking our hearts and all the sighs and all the joys and all the disappointments and all the discouragements and all the problems and all the hopes and all the dreams and all the, all the rest of it that goes along with just ordinary life and lifting our heart up before God. Calvin saw prayer as a holy, familiar conversation. I like that as a definition of prayer, don't you? That prayer is a holy, familiar conversation between the Heavenly Father and His children, He says, an emotion of the heart within which is poured out and laid open before God. Prayer has to do with if you'll allow me to use the phrase and perhaps you'll understand it, prayer has to do with the affections of the heart. The very emotions of the heart that stir us and move us. This deep inner desire to have sweet, intimate fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Now, those of you who are parents, imagine going a whole day as a parent and not speaking to your child. Or, as a child, imagine that child going a whole day and not speaking to the parent. Well, that would be very difficult, wouldn't it? There would be no food exchanged, There would be no idea when anyone was hungry or thirsty. Life would really cease in your own home if there was no conversation between you and your children. And Calvin says, how can you grow in the Christian faith if you have stunted the very conversation that elicits that growth between you as God's child and your heavenly Father. Now, a fundamental aspect that Calvin wants us to understand about prayer is that prayer was not primarily instituted for God, but prayer was instituted for us. Well, that would come from the theologian of the sovereignty of God, would it not? We're not informing God of anything he doesn't know about. We're not telling God about things that He doesn't already make Himself aware of. We don't surprise Him with news that He does not already know, for He knows the past and the present and the future as one in the same outside of time, seeing all things together in His sovereign will and purposes. No, prayer is for us that we may have the enormous and tremendous privilege to come before the creator of the universe with all of our stuff and lay it at his feet as our father. It means, it is a means given to man so that we by faith, Calvin said, and I love this, listen, so that we by faith, Reach those treasures that are laid up for us by our Heavenly Father. Have you ever, in your Christian walk, I know I have just even recently. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm going to plan prayer and I've got this time of prayer and I've got A, B, C, and D that I've got to take before God and I've got all of this stuff that I want to talk to him about and pray about and all these people that I have to pray about and these situations and all these number one priorities that are in my life that I have to pray about. But then somehow in the midst of your prayers, you are so caught up with just how beautiful and wonderful he is that all of your problems. And cares, and all of your situations that you were going to bring before him just seemed to disappear in wonder, love, and praise. And that's what Calvin says prayer is. Now, Calvin believed that prayer was the chief exercise of faith, and he suggests six ways that prayer contributes to our growth in Christ. Six ways that prayer contributes to our growth in Christ. Number one, it inflames our hearts. It inflames our hearts with the desire to seek, love, and serve God. We could say amen to that. I never go to prayer that I don't come out of prayer more desirous to fulfill God's will than when I started, or more desirous to serve Him or worship Him in some way. It inflames our hearts with the desire to seek love and serve God. Number two, it trains us, and this is a key element, friends, It trains us to expose the secrets and desires of our hearts to God. It trains us to expose the secrets and desires of our hearts before God. Number three, it promotes gratitude. Well, we could all use more of that, could we not? It promotes gratitude and thankfulness. Oh, have you ever just started on the way to work in your commute, whether that would be 15 minutes or 30 minutes or even an hour and just started with no radio or nothing on or no podcast or anything of that nature and you just start rehearsing what you're thankful for. Have you ever tried that sometime? Try that sometime and you'll notice that you quickly arrive at work before you run out of your list because prayer promotes gratitude and thankfulness. To the Lord. Then, fourthly, it leads to meditation on God's kindness. Wow, we have a Heavenly Father that wants to hear from us. He's not a God that needs to be appeased. He's not a God that needs some mantra recited to him. We don't have to count beads when we go to him in some sort of prayer. We don't even have to come before a priest. He hasn't even given us an earthly mediator through which we have to go through. No, through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious resurrection and his ripping the veil of the temple from top to bottom when he died, he has opened his arms and he says, come on all you're welcome for we have one mediator between god and man and that is christ our lord and he invites us because he wants us to come for jesus said it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." Then, Calvin says, prayer produces even greater joy in those things that we have obtained through prayer. It produces even greater joy. We all know this. We've all experienced this when God answers a prayer. And we're just like, what, 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 what? I I just prayed about that two weeks ago. And now it's happening. I've been praying for that loved one to be saved for 50 years. And now God has arrested their heart and saved them. I've been praying for those darned car keys to appear for the last five minutes. And thankfully, he put in the mind of somebody to create a little Apple tag that I put on my car keys that I could find with my phone. Right? And so we're even more joyful. Finally, it serves as a personal confirmation of God's providence. It serves, prayer serves as a personal confirmation of God's providence. Personal confirmation. That God is working all things for our good and our joy and His glory. We may not see it now, but He is. Because sometimes we just have to go before our Father, as I personally have done recently, and just say, Lord, I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. I know the comfort of our hearts when we read the verse that when you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit is making groanings for you which cannot be uttered. He's praying for us. Jesus is interceding on behalf of us for that is now his current ministry at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us on our behalf. Well, you thought that was the end of the talk. Well, we've not even come to what Jesus says about prayer. Calvin was just the foretaste to get our minds flowing in that particular direction. Well, that's the instruction here in Matthew 6, in the verses that I've read to you from our Lord about prayer. As he instructs his true disciples about how different their prayer lives should be than the prayer lives of the Pharisees. That's the instruction here. Now, ordinarily for instruction on prayer, we usually skip over verses 5 to 8. Maybe you didn't even know they were there. And in fact, we go all the way to verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, etc. And you know the prayer by heart and from memory. However, verses 5 to 8 set the table, as it were, For the feast that is coming in verse 9. If you don't have the plates and the cups and the silverware, you can't be ready to receive the food. And so that's what Jesus does for us here in verses 5 through 8. Is he is setting the table. Now, while the prayer that Jesus offers is the ultimate example of what all of our prayers should contain regarding the elements, Jesus first bypasses mere words, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 which we know as the Lord's Prayer, which should actually be called the Disciples' Prayer, but we know as the Lord's Prayer, He bypasses that, and in His teaching of verses 5 through 8, He goes directly for the heart. Now, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't begin His teaching on prayer like we do. When we teach on prayer. In small group studies or Sunday school lessons or whatever the case would be, we usually discuss the mechanics of prayer. The mechanics of prayer. That is, what is the right posture that we should have in prayer? Where should we pray? How long should our prayers be? But notice that Jesus doesn't address any of that. He, he doesn't talk about any of that. We rarely get to the heart of the matter. In fact, if we take a look at the whole of Scripture, any posture will do. People prayed standing and sitting and lying and walking and running and climbing and all the rest of it. In fact, if we take a look at the whole of Scripture, any place will do. People prayed by the ocean, by the sea, by the lake, in the fields. They prayed in battle as arrows were whizzing by their ears. They prayed in good times and bad times. They prayed in gardens and cities and mountaintops. Well, Scripture also says any time will do. Throughout Scripture, people prayed at mealtimes, they prayed three times a day, they prayed at bedtime, they prayed in the morning, they prayed at noon, they prayed all night. And so Jesus isn't concerned here with the mechanics of prayer, but goes straight as it were for the heart. So let me ask you this evening, what is the condition of your heart toward prayer? What is the condition of your heart when you pray? And it's here that we find our Lord's teaching. And we have a few don'ts and we have a few do's. I want to give you the don'ts first because I want to end on the do's and more of exhortation for you. What's a don't? What's the first don't that Jesus gives to us? Do not do this. Well, we find that in verse 5. And when you pray, here's my translation, do not be a hypocrite. Do not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like them. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So, first of all, don't be a hypocrite. Now, previously, previously Jesus has warned his hearers about the same thing with giving to others. Don't be like the Pharisees. They're the penultimate example of what not to be like. You want to know what not to be like? Don't be a Pharisee. The hypocrites, they love to put on a show when they give, that they may be seen by others when they give. Here's another phrase from my grandmother. They want to strut around like a peacock. You know, that's what peacocks do, don't they? They put on a show. Oh, they spread those gorgeous tail feathers. And regardless of the other birds or even animals that are even in the vicinity, your eye is on the peacock and its beauty and its splendor. And you're almost in awe. Well, that's what the Pharisees want when they parade around with their giving. I want you to look at me. Look at me at what I'm giving. Look how holy I am. Look how generous I am. Look how spiritual I am. Look how close to God I am. You see, these hypocrites have little interest in actually praying. They have actually no interest in praying. They have no interest in conversing with God. Rather, they want to be noticed by others. They love to stand and pray. In the synagogues, at church and at the street corners, when praying, they want the best positions in the marketplace or in the synagogues in order to be seen and heard by others. They want to, pers- they want to parade around their pseudo-spirituality in front of a crowd in order to be praised and applauded for the depth of their piety. Well, let me say this. It's often the case, isn't it, that those who want to parade around their spirituality in front of others have very shallow depth to their spirituality. It's a mask, it's a facade, it's a show, it's hypocrisy. And you see what it does is it reveals the true intention and condition of the heart. Jesus says, you must not be like them because they have received their reward. Well, what is that? Well, he tells us applause, accolades, gasps from others. Oh, look, honey, how spiritual they are. Oh, my goodness, did, did we even think to pray before air meal? L- look at them over there. Oh, my. They must really have a great relationship with the Lord. That's their reward. Well, what are a few ways we can be hypocritical in our prayers? Just some practical things. Well, number one, praying to be seen by others. We've just discussed this. Is that how you pray? Do you pray in a restaurant and over a meal because you're genuinely thankful for what the Lord has set before you and provided in regard for provision or are you wanting to impress the deacon three booths down or the pastor who just walked in or your friends who have just sat down at the table number two we can be hypocritical in our prayers by praying insincerely Matthew 15 verse 8 these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. There's an insincerity to our prayers. We're not sincere. We're just putting on a show. And then thirdly, perhaps very practically, we can be hypocrites in our prayers when we fail to forgive others. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. If your Bible's open there, you can see it for yourself. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What is it you harbor in your hearts against a fellow believer or against anyone for that matter that has been unforgiven and because of that resentment and because of being failing to forgive you are hindering your prayers when you go before the Lord and you're a hypocrite. Well, we must guard against these things, Jesus says, lest we become like the hypocrites who have already received their reward. What is the condition of your heart in this regard? That's what Jesus is asking us this evening. Even when you pray in a service of worship, Actually, in ministry, I've heard probably more gossip through the facade of prayer than in any other way. In a prayer meeting, people gossip back and forth in regard to what they're praying for. Oh, now, Lord, you know the need, but there's this woman over here. There's this guy who has done me wrong, and everybody knows what they're talking about. I mean, don't sit there, Capitol, and don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, don't you? And there's this facade. Are you praying to be seen? Are you praying to be applauded by others? Well, that's the heart of the matter here. Jesus is saying in order to pray rightly and, then, and have intimate fellowship with our Father, we must eliminate any signs of hypocrisy in our own heart. Don't be like the Pharisees, the hypocrites. Well, that leads us to number two, the second don't. In verse 7. We'll come back to verse 6. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. The second don't is don't be manipulative. Don't be manipulative. Now, the first don't is concerning the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. The, the second don't is connected in verse 7 to the Gentiles, which is a common word used in the New Testament to refer to the pagans. Many pagans in the ancient world had this view of prayer that if they recited certain words a certain number of times, like a mantra, that eventually the deity to which they were praying would be forced to give them what they had requested. In other words, they thought through their vain repetition that they could manipulate their God into doing what they were asking. Well, this seems to be so prevalent today, particularly in the word of faith and the prosperity gospel movement. Oh, if I just use the right words about my health, and if I just use the right words words about my bank account, and you know, what is it? Speaking words of faith or commands or whatever it is, and if I use the right words about getting a new job or a new car, a nice new car, then God has to give me what I want. And there's conferences on this. And there's cla- they'll teach you how to do it. Now most of the time you slip into some sort of different gibberish. But it's a mantra that you have to repeat. And it's manipulative. One of the great examples of this is found in scripture. Perhaps it's already come to your mind. And I love this illustration. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 18. When Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Altars were erected and sacrifices were made to see which God would respond with fire. You know the story. And it says the prophets of Baal cried out, verse 26 of 1 Kings chapter 18, the prophets of Baal cried out, From morning until noon, saying, Oh Baal, answer us. And they just repeated that again and again and again and again and again. From morning until noon, four or five hours, Oh Baal, answer us. Again and again they cried, and they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. I love this. No one paid attention. Don't you just love that? no answered, no one answered, and no one paid attention. And you can just imagine Elijah, can't you? He finally gets up. You know, he's been sitting there on his phone or something. You know, he's been having to occupy himself. And he gets up from the ground, and he says, okay, are you finished? Are you done? With all your phrases, with all your cutting, with all your bloodletting, with all your manipulation, are you done? And Elijah steps forward and prays a prayer of less than 100 words. The heavens opened, fire fell from heaven... It licked up the sacrifice, it licked up the stones of the altar, and it licked up the water that they had drenched the sacrifice with, and it licked up the dust in the trough where the water was in a prayer of less than 100 words. You see, beloved, it's not necessarily the quantitative efforts of our prayer. It's the condition of the heart. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Prayer isn't a mantra. It's not counting beads. It's not clinging to some device that's supposed to give you some sort of spiritual affection or some feel-good feeling. No, Prayer is nothing more than spiritual fellowship. And Jesus is saying that by thinking we can manipulate God, that's an indication that you don't even understand the goodness of God. You don't even understand it. For it's His delight. It's His delight to answer his people. A few months ago, I was having such a difficult time, a circumstance that was going on, and I walked out of my front door, and there in the front yard were about five or six birds pecking around. And I was... In a particular emotional state that in seeing those birds, I started to weep. Because the Spirit brought to mind the passage of Scripture that talks about the birds not storing up for themselves food and barns and harvesting and all of the rest. But your father feeds them. But what really got me was what he says then. How much more valuable are you? And I thought these birds don't have a care in the world, the father's feeding. And here I am feeling sorry for myself thinking God has forsaken me. No. How much more valuable are you? Now, just so we don't mistake what Jesus is saying here, He's not suggesting that we don't persist in prayer. That is... Praying for years for a dear loved one to be saved, or praying again and again for a situation that needs to change. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is saying is don't think you can manipulate God by praying in certain ways about those things. So we're to guard against hypocrisy. We're to guard against a manipulative spirit. Well, those are the don'ts. Well, what are we to do? Well, number one, we're to humble ourselves before God. Go back to verse 6. But when you pray, there that phrase is again. It's just like fasting down in verse 16. When you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Well, this is really the only time that Jesus talks about a posture of prayer. And it has nothing to do with sitting or lying or bowing or raising our hands. But it's about a heart posture. Do you see? Humility. James said in James chapter 4 verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. We don't go parading before the throne of grace, acting as if we deserve our prayers to be answered. No, no. Genuine prayer cultivates genuine humility within the heart and life of the Christian believer the fountainhead, as it were, the fountainhead of all of our prayers and all of our lives emerges from secret prayer. It emerges from secret prayer, time spent away from a watching world, alone, where only the Father can see you. Well, why should we cultivate a life of secret prayer? Why should we humble ourselves before God? Let let me give you a few thoughts here. First of all, we should cultivate a life of secret prayer to avoid hypocrisy. Well, we just talked about this. You can't be a hypocrite alone. There's nobody to see you there's nobody no spectators right there's no spectators it's the old adage if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there does it make a sound (laughs) well of course it does what a ludicrous thing to say of course it does The same thing here applies. You are literally, if you'll allow me to use the phrase, in secret, you are literally naked and open before the Lord of hosts. No audience, no spectators, Avoid hypocrisy. Number two, we should cultivate a life of secret prayer to cultivate a deeper relationship with God. Praying in secret allows us to focus solely on our relationship with God without being distracted by the opinions and the judgments of others. Number three, to avoid distractions. When we pray in secret, we remove external distractions and focus fully on our conversation with God. Turn off the television. Put your phones on silent. Don't even take your phone into the closet with you in prayer, the place that you have for prayer. Number four, we pray in secret to develop intimacy with God. For when you're in secret with God, you can speak freely and openly with God, developing deeper intimacy with Him. We aren't tempted to pray for the sake of those around us or to put on a spiritual show. Number five, to express vulnerability. Praying in secret allows us to express our deepest fears our doubts, our concerns to God without anyone else hearing. Number six, to strengthen our faith. Praying in secret allows us to exercise our faith in God, trusting in His presence and power when no one else is watching Trusting only in Him. Number seven, to model humility. Praying in secret, we model the humility that Jesus is speaking of here, putting our relationship with God above our desire for recognition or approval from others. You see, secret prayer is where the true intentions of our hearts are revealed and where true humility is manifested. Do you have a time of secret prayer? Do you have a time that you get alone with God and it's just you and you're open before Him and you seek such sweet intimacy and fellowship with Him? Well, that's the first do. Well, the second do is look to our Father. Look to our Father. The final part of verse 6, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's an interesting verse. Notice the phrase, your Father who sees you. Now go down to verse 8, your Father knows what you need. Our Father knows everything. Why do we look to our Heavenly Father? Because He sees us fully, doesn't He? Not as others around us do, but he sees our inward parts and knows everything about us better than our children, better than our spouses, better than our pastor, better than our biblical counselor and all the rest of it. He knows our thoughts, our intentions, our motives, our dreams, our goals, our sins. He knows everything. I don't want to go to a God that doesn't know everything. Imagine praying to a God that we thought we were having to give information to. How silly and ridiculous would that be? And we go to him because he knows. This is why he said he knows what we have need of before we even ask him. That's just in case I forget to ask. Secondly, we go to our Father because our reward is with Him. Our reward is with Him. Our reward isn't accolades of men and women. Our reward isn't in this world. We talked about that this morning. Our reward proceeds from a Father who sees us in secret unlike the hypocrites, unlike the pagans who have their reward in the praise of men, our reward as believers in Christ is the confident assurance that when we come to God by faith, that He rewards us out of His eternal goodness in Christ. And just so we don't forget Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In closing, I want to revisit John Calvin and offer you a couple rules for prayer, okay? Here's some rules for prayer. The first rule that Calvin offers to guide believers in offering effectual, fervent prayer is rule number one a heartfelt sense of reverence. A heartfelt sense of reverence. Calvin says, we must be deposed in mind and heart as befits those who enter conversations with God. He says, only persons who duly and properly gird themselves to pray are those who are so moved by God's majesty that they are freed from earthly cares and affections. You don't bust into God's presence you don't you don't parade in front of God this is something that's lost in the church today Jesus isn't your homeboy and all the rest of that nonsense no there must be a heartfelt sense of reverence That we are coming before the creator of the universe. Secondly, rule number two, there should be a heartfelt sense of need and repentance. Calvin writes, we must pray from a sincere sense of want and with penance, maintaining the disposition of a beggar. We pray in accordance with God's will, keeping His glory in focus, repenting and confessing to Him. Rule number three, a heartfelt sense of humility and trust in God. A heartfelt sense of humility and trust in God. Calvin says, we yield all confidence in ourselves and humbly plead for pardon. You know what prayer really says? Prayer really says, I can't do this by myself. I can't do it. Prayer really says, I don't even want to try to do it by myself. The final rule that Calvin gives us is a heartfelt sense of confident hope. He says confidence is necessary in true invocation in which becomes the key that opens to us the gates of the kingdom of heaven. Calvin admonishes to allow our weakness and failure to drive us to Jesus Christ, who alone, he says, now hear this, who alone will change the throne of dreadful glory into the throne of grace. Calvin says, Christ is the only way and the one access by which it is granted to us to come before God. Father, we thank you for your teaching to us this evening, how it reminds us, God, of our desperate need of you, how it reminds us, Father, that we can do nothing without you. Help us, Lord, this evening to examine the condition of our own hearts. Open our hearts to us and reveal to us the true posture of our hearts concerning prayer. And help us to get that posture right. Help us to not be hypocrites like the Pharisees. Help us not to think that we can manipulate you like the Gentile pagans. But help us to come humbly before the throne of grace seeking the kindness and goodness of our heavenly father who delights in his children waiting to welcome us into his arms go with us now lead us safely home bless us in the week to come by your grace cultivate our prayer lives and our intake of your word that until we are gathered together back in worship, that you would speak to us through your word and we in turn would speak to you in prayer. For we ask these things in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at CapitalCommunityChurch.com.